0: Welcome to a very special Vintage Video Patreon pick, where our patrons at the $100 tier are invited to request any pre 1980s title they'd like for a custom review from the Vintage Video team, over analyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
1: I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells.
0: And today, Carlos Moda has asked us to review The Green Slime, released December 19th, 1968. Technically, he didn't ask us to review this movie. <laughs> <laughs>
2: In fact, he might ask us to stop. <laughs> he, he's
0: probably furious right now. No, uh, he asked for the blob, and he gave us our choice of a second option, and we thought this was a nice pairing, or I did.
2: (laughs) Pretty sure I I told you to.
0: to. We both did, then. (laughs) It was written by Charles Sinclair, Bill Finger, and Tom Rowe, based on a story by Ivan Rayner, directed by Kinji Fukasaku, and released by Toei Company in Japan and MGM in the U.S. To approach this film properly, I'm going to start with a tangent about an uninvolved filmmaker altogether. Italian director Antonio Margheriti has a very eclectic filmography. He's basically the Italian Kinji Fukusaku, with celebrated entries in the Spaghetti Western, Sci Fi, Sword and Sandal, Eurospy, and Giallo genres. Also, like Fukusaku, Margheriti is a favorite of Quentin Tarantino's, and he even gets a shout out in both Inglorious Bastards, where Eli Roth's Donnie Donowitz uses the director's name as a pseudonym, and
1: the Antonio Margariti.
0: and in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, wherein DiCaprio's Rick Dalton stars in a fictional Margariti spy film called Operazioni Dynamite, and his fourth, a spaghetti secret agent James Bond ripoff type flick called Operazioni Dynamite. Margariti's work had caught the eye of Metro Goldwyn Mayer stateside, and they presented him with the opportunity to direct a quadrology of space films in a series, all revolving around the adventures of United Democracy's Space Command and their state-of-the-art space station Gamma One. Because of the budget and time frame provided, MGM presumed that these films would be for television broadcast, but when Margariti returned three months later with four surprisingly decent-made feature films, they were rerouted for theatrical release where they turned a tidy profit. The films were shot back-to-back, utilizing the same cast, sets, and costumes, and all released in rapid succession, three in 1966 and the last in 67. I watched them all yesterday. (laughs) Did you? And while they don't technically connect to the green slime beyond sharing some producers and writers, it is considered by many to be the unofficial fifth film in the series. Huh. Gamma 1 is replaced in the green slime with Gamma 3, and the UDSC is replaced with the UNSC. Tonight's film was actually an American-Japanese co-production, a second collaboration between MGM and Japanese studio Toei. after 1966's Terror Beneath the Sea. The Green Slime was shot in Tokyo with an almost entirely American cast largely padded out with members of the American military serving overseas. For reasons unbeknownst to me, the official Razzie movie guide saw fit to include this film in their list of the 100 most amusingly bad movies ever made. And starting in 1976, an annual science fiction convention called Bubonicon has awarded the Green Slime Award to the year's worst science fiction film. The film was also an inspiration for the 1979 board game, The Awful Green Things from Outer Space. I
2: mean, I get, I, I do put it in that category though. It's not like it's this, you know, it's not like it's this masterpiece of a filmmaking. For the
0: time, it's not even poorly made.
2: But it, but I'm just saying it's terribly entertaining because of it's
0: it's absolutely entertaining. Yeah. I take issue with calling it a bad movie even in the first place. I think this is a decent sci-fi film for the time. Yeah. And actually, I think it's the best of the five films if you're considering it a part of the margariti set.
2: Sure, I think you just have problems with the Razzies in general, so. <laughs> I do,
0: that's true. But I also, I, I don't like it when people confuse like, oh, this, is, this was made before I was born, so it's bad. Like, I just, I don't understand the context of the year this movie came out. Yeah. So to me, it's a bad movie. And it's like, no, it's not a bad movie, it's an old movie. For the Margariti films, the first one is called The Wild Wild Planet. Agents from the planet Delphos infiltrate the station and begin shrinking anyone who would stand in their way to lock them up in small briefcases while they create a race of superhumans to replace mankind. One victim's shrinking is interrupted, and because he survives the procedure, he is played by a little person for the rest (laughs) of the film. The second film is called The War of the Planets. The story involves the crew of Gamma-1 being paralyzed and possessed by a green fog from space, and they attack it with flamethrower pistols. It also features an early role from Franco Django Nero, who we just saw in Enter the Ninja, and again in the new trailer as the titular Pope in The Pope's Exorcist. The third film is called War Between the Planets, which is not a different enough title from War of the Planets, War Between the Planets. Uh, Betwixt the Planets. (laughs) Right, that would be better. This is definitely one of the slower chapters. It's about another planet on a collision course with Earth, and the space team's trying to avoid disaster. Nothing really happens until the very end, and even then it's super anticlimactic. Because the film doesn't communicate what's going on very well, a voice occasionally shows up on the audio track to just explain what's happening. (laughs) It's very (laughs) odd. Like, it'll tell you the thoughts of the characters. Wow.
2: This is how you get through uh, four movies in, like, three months. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, it definitely
0: came to a point where they were like, they showed this, and then they were like, I don't understand what was happening there and so a voice comes on and says so and so noticed that the people were coming over the ridge and so he leapt out into space (laughs) it's like i'm watching some of this he didn't have to explain all of it
1: it's like the the parts they filmed for raymond burr and the original (laughs) exactly yeah raymond just just tell us a little bit what's going on here
0: people just want to hear you ramble (laughs) thanks steve martin (laughs) that's the character's (laughs) name right yeah Uh, The fourth film is called Snow Devils, and I couldn't even follow this one, really. There's a lot of hiking through snow and this big hairy tribe of blue monsters, and then a bunch of dudes in spacesuits swinging around on very visible wires in space. (laughs) It's it's weird. It's not good. Uh, But then this film came out the next year. The film opens in space, and we see a glowing ball approaching Earth's atmosphere from a distance. The UNSC, which I assume stands for United Nations Space Command, but I don't think we ever spell out the UN part. Uh, They're communicating with the Gamma 3 space station as it floats by in the foreground. The crew in the station's command module radio Cape Kennedy, the former name of Cape Canaveral until 1973, and the team are recording weather from space and sending it down to report the weather to Earth. We cut to a whole miniature city and we see Cape Kennedy and their launch pad. Though they're designed in the same style as the miniature cities from Margariti's original films, they appear reconstructed from scratch because Fukusaku doesn't half-ass anything. Like, all the sets in this are beautiful.
1: Yeah, the, the miniatures are so great that they even have just traffic right like there's like cars driving on the mini like little miniature cars being dragged around but it looks this this is pretty convincing yeah it's like a busy road and
0: even the sign outside the building the the unsc which could have just been a sign Mm -hmm. it's like little like blocks that are like lit up from within Mm -hmm. it's just like just so much really great attention to detail and i just love miniature work anyway in the command center on earth a technician is suddenly getting some disconcerting interference on his instruments when they put the signal on their main screen, they can see it's an asteroid on approach. Have you got that course figured yet? Here it is, sir. A collision course with Earth. We crash zoom into the projection of the asteroid and kick off another jazzy theme song for the film's alien goo. No doubt inspired by Burt Bacharach's theme for the blob. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor I right through the door. The Green Slime theme song does not appear in the Japanese cut of the film and was added by composer Charles Fox, likely chosen for his work for the music in Barbarella with lyrics from Sherry Gaydon and sung by Rick Lancelot, or Lancelotti, sometimes he's credited.
2: I think that this song makes the movie. Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I would great. have a hard time picking a favorite between this Blob killer theme song, the Blob killer theme song, or the Godzilla vs. Hetera killer Blob theme song because
2: oh, like the muck and the pollution yeah where
0: gone. it's like just singing all the like chemical ingredients under the theme song we see a montage of the scientists checking and double checking the trajectory of the asteroid the lyrics are actually comical in places Is it just something in your head? Will you believe it when you're dead? Green slime. Is it just something in your head? Will
1: you believe it when you're dead?
0: The last title from the opening credits is for director Kinji Fukasaku over a shot of the spinning asteroid, and it's impossible not to compare the framing to the opening titles of Mystery Science Theater 3000. And it's no coincidence, because the film was actually the first film covered by the MST3K team. In fact, this was the pilot episode and never actually aired, but clips can be found on YouTube. MST3K creator Joel Hodgson based the original project for the show on that scene from the Omega Man where Charlton Heston is watching the Woodstock documentary on loop. Mm. But then in his version, it was about the last man on earth with a robotic sidekick he'd built himself. And they were somehow broadcasting their thoughts on these old movies. Before he pitched the show to KTMA production manager, Jim Mallon, he decided that the apocalyptic setting was a bit bleak and mixed it with the film Silent Running so that now the man was left alone on a spacecraft and forced to watch the films against his will with robot companions. The Green Slime MST3K episode was more of a proof of concept, and in place of Tom Servo features only a robot named Beeper who speaks exclusively in beeps, which Crow translates. What? (laughs) Yeah.
2: Oh, well, that's great! I also feel like you can you can see the influence of something like this movie in the title sequence. Not just for sure, sp- yeah. Not just the yeah. spinning planet, but the, the crafts. Fact that everything is yeah. in miniatures. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty. Great. And it's
0: even similar spaceship designs and yeah. stuff like that too. Back in the command center, the decision is made to obliterate the asteroid nicknamed Flora. To lead the mission, the general in charge has called in Commander Rankin, who has technically tendered his resignation, but is still the best man for the job. Rankin is brought up to speed. The asteroid is made of 6 million tons of rock and set to collide with Earth in less than 10 hours.
2: Who's in command of the mission? To my mind, there's only one man with the necessary
1: experience. But under the circumstances, he would have to volunteer. I take it I'm the volunteer? Here are the operating orders and there's a flight waiting at Lowry Field.
0: Lowry Field is referenced in sci-fi author Robert Heinlein's The Man Who Sold the Moon, probably as a reference to Lowry Air Force Base in Denver, Colorado, which is, of course, nowhere near Cape Kennedy slash Cape Canaveral. Rankin accepts the mission. The general tells him if he doesn't succeed, then don't bother coming back to Earth because it won't be here. <laughs> well, <laughs> The whole planet is going to be erased.
1: Yeah, I was like, well, I mean, it'll still be there, yeah. but it just...
2: Many just, more pieces? <laughs>
0: it'll, it'll, it might even be in one piece. It'll just be less fun. <laughs> Rankin is to report to Gamma 3 Space Station, where he'll be in charge of everyone there while they build his ship. The man currently running Gamma 3 is Vince Elliott, and it's clear from Rankin's reaction that the two have a history. The General and Rankin share their first of several awkward thumbs up over the course of the film. (laughs) Rankin is flown directly to the launch pad for the first rocket up.
1: Wait, wait, like, and and I was like, wait, what is this? Yeah. (laughs) He's like in like a, like a hover car. And it's completely silent, yep. like no like woo 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 sounds, like nope. like to it indicate that it's hovering. Right it just, <laughs> <Yeah>. just, just
0: <laughs> slides in there. Yeah, the tower pulls away and the rocket launches, but the whole sequence plays out in miniature with a classic fifties Forbidden Planet or Thunderbird style imagery. It's fun to remember that this film and two thousand one A Space Odyssey were in theaters at the same time. <laughs> As the rocket approaches Gamma Three, Commander Elliot, played by Richard Jekyll, is informed of its arrival. On the way to the docking bay, Elliot is intercepted by his girlfriend, Lisa, who has already heard the rumors of Rankin's arrival. She seems annoyed that he was given command over Elliot. From their conversation, it seems like he is also an ex of hers. It's up to Rankin who joins him on the mission to destroy Flora and Lisa begs Elliot not to go with him. That's up to him. Vince,
2: don't let anything start up again. That's up to him too. Try to remember that once you were the best of friends.
0: Presumably that was before she came between them or before they came between her.
2: What? 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 (laughs) Ew. What?
0: (laughs) Just to make him self-conscious, she tells Elliot that he has nothing to be jealous of and that Rankin means nothing to her anymore. He invites her to welcome Rankin aboard, and she says she'd rather not see him again. Rankin's rocket docks with the station, and he climbs out to see his new ship being assembled. Somehow, Elliot expects Rankin to be on his way within 20 minutes. Weirdly, a quote-unquote space consultant named Hans Halverson expects that he and his assistant will be included among Rankin's crew. What is a space consultant? <laughs> they all work on a space station. Presumably these are all experienced space consultants. Uh,
1: I mean, I, I just assume that uh, he's an expert in...
0: Like a biologist, you would yeah. think. That they would just call him that, not be like, oh, he knows space. This guy's the space expert. And it's like... We're all in space all the time. He's like, shit floats. You're welcome. Bye. (laughs) He walks away. Rankin tells Hans that he was not assigned to the mission, but Elliot informs him that the orders have changed while he was en route to the station. It's only been like 20 minutes. Yeah,
1: and also, you know, he was in communication. The whole time. The whole time. So it's not like he was in a blackout or a cryo freezer or something like that.
0: Elliot volunteers himself for the mission as well, and Rankin is quick to accept. As Rankin and his crew board the ship, Lisa gives Elliot a nasty look for volunteering when she explicitly asked him not to. The new ship is released from the station with its full crew and heads off to the asteroid. The ship does a loop around the asteroid, making note of three dig sites where bombs will be placed around the surface.
1: It's very reminiscent of, a uh, reminiscent I guess, but, uh, like, it was like, this is the same plot of Armageddon. Yep. <laughs> like, they're gonna, they're gonna have to drill down yeah. and place the bombs.
0: Armageddon is just act one of this film. The craft is set down gently on the surface of the asteroid and small mobile vehicles are rolled down a ramp from inside. Three teams split up to deliver their nuclear arsenal at predetermined target sites. Back on Earth, the crew at Cape Kennedy are getting impatient. Drilling has begun at the first dig site with Rankin and the second dig site with Elliot. A third team begins digging directly under the ship.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's also strange that... Like, one guy's drilling, but then another guy's standing guard with a gun? Yeah. It's like, wh- why did you bring guns?
0: I guess they don't know what's here. I, I mean, I guess, but But just you seems... wouldn't expect life on an asteroid.
1: Yeah, or aggressive life that would prevent you from yeah. from drilling.
0: While they're doing the drilling, Hans and his assistant are investigating the surface. Hans discovers a sort of pulsating green scum layer over a puddle... And he collects a lump of it with metal tongs and then drops it in a jar to bring back to Gamma-3 for research.
1: Well, he collects one piece first and goes, oh, and man, that's a bigger piece. That's a bigger piece. He just
0: throws it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he collects the second blob, and then he notices a third blob beating like a heart on top of all their equipment. At all three dig sites, we can see green slime slowly enveloping their surface vehicles and explosive devices. Rankin's vehicle is so overloaded with slime that they can't get it started and turn to walk back to the ship. Elliot's vehicle suffers the same fate and they too run back to the ship. Rankin gets an urgent call from Earth that somehow the asteroid is accelerating and they now have 20 minutes to set off the charges, which is not enough time to escape the blast radius.
1: So if it's accelerating, is it going to miss the Earth now? or is it going? <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does that make
0: a difference? It should
2: change the path, yeah.
0: Unless it was like dead set on it. And yeah. Now it's just going to hit it harder than it was before. Rankin wastes time arguing with him instead of just racing to get it all done. Outside, nobody seems in a hurry either. They can't find Dr. Halverson, so Rankin orders everyone back to the ship. Halverson comes running up with the slime sample in a jar. Look,
2: it's pulsating. It's alive. Get rid of it. But this is a major discovery. (laughs)
0: And Rankin takes it and smashes it on the ground.
2: Can't bring it with you. Now everybody get on board.
0: I really love this moment because it's exactly what I wanted him to do. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, in shattering the jar, he splashes a small drop of slime on the doctor's spacesuit, and we get an insert to emphasize its importance. The ship takes off quickly, but with only three minutes to go, they wasted 17 minutes finding Dr. Halverson. Yeah, It's like, you should have left a long time ago. Rankin orders the pilots to move faster and faster, but they warn that they're already pulling over 10 Gs and any faster could destroy the ship. Unfortunately, so will this nuclear blast.
2: I, I think it's really funny in this moment because half of them, or most of them, I would say, are not acting like they're in 10 Gs, but yeah. one of them, one of the yeah. guys, is the doctor giving is committing. it his all. Like, he's just forced against these seats.
0: And he's, like, <laughs> even stretching his face a little bit to make right, it look right. like it's pulling him back in the chair. <laughs>
1: Uh, what was that? What was that other movie where they were going to Venus? Yeah, and I was they were just all trying to think of that. They were all in like high G situations.
2: The the doomsday machine. Yes. Like, yeah, Where they're trying to climb on each other and like buckle seatbelts. Oh and right, because the motion. one guy like
0: they were like, oh, the doctor says I'm totally fit for this mission, and then he just has a stroke on the watch. <laughs> yeah, pad. it's like okay, well, doctor lied. Fire that guy. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Earth exploded. <laughs> the pilots are unwilling to commit to Rankin's demands so he steps up and throws the lever himself when he's tossed backward by more g forces he cuts his arm open on a support bar
2: but like the the guy sitting in the seat cannot reach this right. button yeah. that he's trying but to reach
0: Rankin can't. yeah
2: and and yet this guy stands up and is forcing himself forward to like reach this thing yeah. I'm like dude yeah
0: <laughs> yeah he wasn't trying for sure so,
1: yeah, so they were cuz they were already at 10g's yeah. And then he throws it into full speed. And then he says, hit the force field button. And it's just like, well, you're going more than 10 G. So you're 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 just walking uphill at, we'll casually say, 15 times your weight. <laughs> and you're just, yep, I can do this. Yep. No problem. Just I'll a matter it. of will. I'll push <laughs>
0: another button and not liquefy all of yeah. us. Yes. His bones would like literally,
1: your, your chest would just be
0: crushing yeah. you. It'd be like you got CPR from the Hulk. <laughs> The asteroid explodes behind them, and the ship glows purple and then green as bits of the rock ricochet off the outside of their craft. After a moment, the crashing of asteroid debris stops, and it's clear they have survived. Earth and Gamma 3 celebrate. The crew of the ship are greeted on Gamma 3 with a hero's welcome. Lisa tries to rush in and hug Elliot, but Rankin orders her out of the room until they've gone through decontamination three times.
1: Yeah, like, I was just... What are you doing? Yeah, it's like... Uh, I, I thought I thought you were a doctor, and I was, so I was looking up her, her credit. And I was like, "Yeah, she's Doctor Benson." I was like, "Well, maybe she's a physicist." like then we find out later, no, she's a medical, medical doctor. doctor. It turns out
0: she's just a space consultant. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, I I think it's unusual that he asks for them to decontaminate it three times. Here. I think
0: he's just trying to be overzealous.
2: Why doesn't it work?
0: <laughs> because they don't have a a proper decontamination system, <laughs> mm-hmm. really. Elliot tries to start a fight over it even though they just saved the entire planet and literally nothing could be more important. Passing through decontamination, we see the slime drop on someone's spacesuit bubbling. Commander Rankin heads to the onboard hospital intending to dress his arm wound himself, but Lisa shows up to take care of it. She complains to him that he's too good at his job and he doesn't let other people fail or do things wrong. She thinks his weakness as a commander is that he doesn't let people fuck off and screw up enough. (laughs) Elliot shows up to lead Rankin away to the celebratory party. Everyone does bizarre future dancing. (laughs) And this is like a common scene in all Mm -hmm. of the five films of the series where there's always like go-go dancing in these weird 60s costumes in this same like cafe bar area. See,
2: now here here was my problem. I couldn't tell if they were trying to do fancy space dances or if this this was just the 60s. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's hard to say. (laughs) Lots of drugs.
1: Yeah, and in the I don't know what kind of like space facility this is, if there are like a lot of civilians. It seems like they're
0: all working, like they all have stations that they they work here. And so
1: it's just like, you know, they they just have like all this like civilian attire for for being up there. Like it's like, oh, wear your fancy dresses tonight. Yeah,
0: why is it so comfortable on this space station? Seems expensive. Are the taxpayers funding this?
2: No, the United Nations.
0: The nations all pay taxes for it. That's how it goes. Rankin delivers congratulations from members of the Cape Kennedy crew, and Elliot tells Rankin that he can tell them that he and Lisa are engaged. (laughs) It's like, oh, that's nice of them. Hey, tell them that I proposed to your Mm ex-girlfriend.
2: Congratulations, I'll tell him. Lisa, I wish you every happiness.
1: Commander, may I uh, dance with your fiancé? Please do.
0: Elsewhere in the station, we see all the spacesuits from today's mission being put through decontamination. The energy from the decontamination unit causes the green slime to start bubbling again, so it is soon a full glowing blob of slime again, grown from a single green drop. So I guess whatever they were using as their technique for decontaminating is radiating energy Mm. into these suits that's supposed to burn it off, but these things absorb energy. Got it. Which I guess they just weren't familiar with that possibility, but it seems like they also could have just looked at them before they threw them in the microwave and been like, oh shit, this one has a big green blob on it. Let's leave that one in space.
1: Well, I I mean, granted, this wasn't like an alien world. It was just an asteroid. But even like the Apollo 11 astronauts were put into like a one month quarantine. Yeah, there's pictures of like Neil
0: Armstrong with his hand on the window. Yeah,
1: and and, 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 and while again, this is just an asteroid, they did find alien life on there. Mm -hmm. And it was like, yeah, you need to go be put in a box for like two weeks just to be sure everything is okay because that's that's an unknown
0: and that's the only verifiable uh separation from the previous four films because they make the point repeatedly that this is the first discovery of intelligent life or not not intelligent it's a it's a a puddle but it's the first discovery of alien life forms and in all the previous films they encounter like alien life forms who speak and walk on two (laughs) legs so it's a little different as they dance, Lisa asks Rankin why he had to report Elliot for some failure in the past. She says it cost him a lot. She also claims that Rankin would probably have made the same mistake Elliot did, which from what we've seen of the man is obviously not true.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and, and the, the mistake was right. that he killed 10 people
0: to save one guy. Yeah. <laughs> Severe trolley problem failure. You would have done
1: exactly the same. I doubt it and if i had i wouldn't bitch about it all over the place after all he sacrificed 10 men to save one that's a pretty stupid mistake
0: it's like just so harsh but i love it lisa informs rankin that elliot feels super bad about it (laughs) (laughs) like that makes up for all the lives he caused you're making a big mistake lisa you don't love vince you pity him
1: i'm very happy with him
0: you're lying
2: you love me I love this guy.
0: He's so fucking cool. And he's right, too. It's really interesting to have the character talk this way, because in any other movie, he'd be the bad guy, and you'd be rooting for Elliot. But in this case, Elliot's just a fuck-up, and Rankin is 100% right all the time. You don't usually give the massive ego to the hero of the story, but I like the way it feels. The technician decontaminating the spacesuits suddenly notices something is amiss. And when he opens the compartment to check on the suits, we see a flash of light, and he screams with a crackling sound that implies electrocution. (laughs) Alarms sound all over the ship, and Elliot calls some of the crew to action. They pass a completely demolished computer station and find the decontamination technician dead on the ground, his face blackened and his clothes burned all over.
2: Okay, but prior to this the guy comes running into like the dance area and he's like captain or commander right. you have to come see this mm-hmm. did you did you already find the dead guy and just leave him there without like trying to resuscitate <laughs> yeah, didn't him, check him yeah. and yeah. then yeah. also not make sure that you like bring the doctor first just in case he's not dead <laughs> no
0: I just want to show the commander this dead body
1: stick <laughs> <laughs> Standard procedure. The, <laughs> yeah. the commander has a standing order. Any dead bodies, come get me I first. I gotta see him <laughs> first. first. Don't, don't
0: tell that stupid doctor about I, it.
1: I got dibs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they confirm the man is dead and then notice remnants of the green slime they found on the asteroid. Halverson claims not to know how it got here and Rankin reminds him that it was his job to keep it off the space station. In the command module, they notice some of their monitors are malfunctioning and Elliot sends crew to check the power lines. As a man explores the corridors with a flashlight, we see a sort of lobstery pincher drifting into view behind him. He finds a bunch of sparking wires, and when he shines his light on it, a glowing red eye appears behind him. It throws a tentacle around the man's neck with a lobster claw at the end of it, and then the man screams in terror as he wrestles with it. The command module can hear the man screaming and find him in the tube all burned up again. He's been electrocuted, just like Michaels. Usually these movies try to keep the monster in shadow, but right away we see one of the aliens, which is apparently just fallen over on its side <laughs> yeah. on a catwalk. <laughs> like, it was trying to scramble away and it just yeah. tipped over.
1: It's like throwing a tantrum. Yeah.
0: It seems to be charging itself with the ship's engines, and Rankin prepares to shoot it with lasers, but Dr. Halverson and Commander Elliot interrupt, suggesting it would be wiser to capture the creature. Rankin reminds Elliot that the alien has already killed two men and Elliot says yet another dumb thing in a row. And as commander of this station,
2: I say we ought to try. Now I'll take full responsibility for it.
0: Oh, will you? (laughs) Will you Elliot? (laughs) (laughs) Commander Elliot orders the alien gassed and then shot with nets. The performers in these rubber alien costumes by the way are the only Japanese cast members in the film, incidentally played by children since adults couldn't maneuver in these costumes. The nets are predictably ineffective against the alien with powers of electrocution, and Commander Elliot has quickly gotten another three men killed and himself injured.
1: Yeah, yeah, one guy like falls off the edge Mm -hmm. of the balcony and just smashes his head.
2: It's a splat. Yeah, Yeah. there's just
0: a huge (laughs) puddle of blood around him instantly. Rankin fires on the alien with lasers to drive it away. He retakes command after yet another horrendous failure from Commander Elliot, (laughs) and Dr. (laughs) Halverson takes samples of the green blood from the floor. In the infirmary, Lisa tells him not to blame himself (laughs) for the three deaths that are blatantly his fault that he preemptively took full responsibility for.
1: Yeah. (laughs) This is totally your fault. 100% your fault.
2: She's such an enabler.
0: Yeah.
2: Are you blaming yourself again?
0: Yes, he is, and he should. Turns out he isn't blaming himself, and he is furious to learn that Rankin is going to stay around the station because Elliot is an even bigger fuck up than he ever imagined.
2: You're saying I always screw up, right? Come on, admit it. You're saying what happened this morning, it's my fault, right? All right,
1: you want it straight?
0: Rankin admits that yes, that's exactly what he's saying and doesn't bother reminding Elliot when he said No, I'll take full responsibility for it. Lisa thinks it's important to remind Rankin that this is the first ever alien life discovered, and Elliot was right to protect it.
2: Tell that to the wives of the men in the morgue.
0: Elliot is called to a lab where Halverson shows him how quickly the green slime cells are able to self-replicate. He also charges the cells with electricity so they grow faster. Stop doing that! (laughs) (laughs) The animal feeds on energy and discharges energy. That would explain its ability to
2: electrocute Michaels. One cell, one microscopic speck left on a spacesuit,
0: and it would absorb all the energy it could get. Rankin orders the men to stop firing on the aliens with lasers to avoid causing new aliens to spawn.
1: Uh, I don't know where it happens, but I have the note here. Um, at some point, they get a call, and it's on like a ro- rotary ringing yeah, phone, yep. like an actual like old timey telephone rings, and I was like. What the hell is that? We we've had like radio communications right. and all this advanced like intercom stuff and then all of a sudden we're picking up like yeah. an old phone. Yeah, that I wanted thing. it to be
0: like one of those horns on the wall.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's like what is
0: this? Yeah we just cut to lily tomlin connecting the call yeah exactly
1: i was like I, can't. I i was i was laughing in hysterics was, especially when you see like the the curly cord come up yeah with yeah, her head. yeah. I was like oh my
0: god where are we lisa moves to the symptom analyzer device and finds it lousy with green slime aliens yeah <laughs> <laughs> They try to roll all the patients out of the room and a team of guards who haven't gotten the memo start laser blasting the aliens and spilling green blood all over the floor until the doctor and Rankin rush in to stop them. blood cells of these creatures is like seed. It can spawn new creatures from its own blood. They lock the infirmary alien into the isolation wing of the infirmary. They watch it on a security monitor as it appears to heal its wounds with electric sparks. They follow globs of slime around the floor of the ship as it spreads and grows all over. Elliot orders the power shut off to the infirmary to slow the growth. Rankin orders a full quarantine on Gamma 3. Lights everywhere on the ship start to flutter as the aliens locate the power lines and the bowels of the station.
1: Also, everyone's really upset about the quarantine. Yeah. It's like, do we
0: have to quarantine? Uh, like, it would yes! have seemed unreasonable <laughs> to have this scene a couple of years ago, but now it's like, yeah, that's what would happen. Elliot announces a plan to the crew that because the creatures seem localized in the sea block, they can evacuate it and contain the creatures by luring them into a specific room with energy readings from a portable generator as bait. As predicted, the creatures come shuffling down the corridor toward the generator into the containment room. A few of the creatures somehow break formation and venture into the still-crowded infirmary. Rankin shows up in the doorway with a flashlight to lure them away.
2: So... Can we talk for a moment about the use of flashlights? Mm-hmm. Because, it's just like
0: that's only energy they could think of.
2: Well, I mean, it feels it feels like they're not absorbing energy through light. They're, right? They're they're absorbing yeah. the electricity through things that are conducting electricity. Yeah, like it's not so it just seems weird like they're moths drawn to a flame <laughs> yeah thinking well there's probably energy over there i'll go that way
0: maybe their vision can see electricity somehow because that's what they feed on or mm. something but uh, yeah they, they decide that they're just going to use these giant strobe lights to lead the aliens everywhere they maneuver all the aliens into the closet with the generator and then do another sweep of c block when the aliens start breaking out of the room Rankin makes plans to blast them out the airlock, but Halverson shows up, demanding access to his files so they aren't accidentally jettisoned into space. This guy again. (laughs) Like, seriously. Him and Elliot are just driving me insane for the whole movie. Rankin assures him again there's no time, so he makes a run for it to collect his things against his commander's will. The aliens swarm the hall, and they have to close the doors before Halverson can escape. Elliot reminds us that he's a worthless moron who has learned nothing from the mistakes of his past by insisting they open the door and let the doctor yeah, out.
1: Yeah, and before that, Halverson like, fell on the ground and caused like multiple vehicles to crash. Right.
0: On a nearby monitor, they see him scrambling around the room to evade the electrified tentacles of the creatures.
2: We're going to have to raise the first airlock panel. You risk the whole station. That's a risk we're going to have to take. Not as long as I'm in command.
0: What kind of sadistic trolley problem bullshit is this? We need to risk everyone's lives to save this one asshole who suicidally ignored protocol? How about we just check the monitor again? I'm sure he's dead by now. Yeah. <laughs> Commander Elliot turns to open the panel and Rankin draws a weapon and orders him away from the doors. Here is the only mistake Rankin makes in the film. Yeah. He lets Elliot call his bluff here instead of just shooting him dead like he should have three scenes ago. Even Lisa, the idiot's idiot girlfriend, stands by the decision and opts to open the door herself. She's standing in the way of the laser gun and flips the switch on the door herself because she's so confident that Elliot is making the right decision. As you probably guessed, the doctor has been dead for a while and the aliens spell out into the hallway and kill more people. Instead of apologizing for ruining the day again, Elliot gets mad at Rankin for holding the aliens back with laser fire and giving the rest of the crew time to escape.
2: You're not supposed to shoot him, Jack. Get her out of here! <laughs>
0: They manage to lock off the hallway again, but the alien attack on a set of lights ignites some nearby gas canisters, and a whole quarter of Gamma 3 explodes into the vacuum of space.
1: Oh man, that was super intense.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I I thought the whole ship was going to go all of a sudden. I thought it was going to be like the C-Lab 2021 episode. (laughs) It just keeps exploding over and over. On the somehow still functional security cameras in the exploded section, they see a few dead aliens, but most were blown into space by the explosion
1: which seems even worse
0: yeah cause now-, now they're spreading all over the galaxy you yeah. idiots Rankin puts in a call to the chief of staff back on earth he orders the full evacuation of Gamma 3 and then just as Elliot approaches he orders the entire space station destroyed which is a very reasonable suggestion considering the nature of their infestation Rankin ordering the destruction of the station is kind of an echo of the last act of The War of the Planets, wherein Commander Mike Halstead asks the general, his own father, to bomb their position to kill the last of the aliens. Of course, in that film, he manages to survive anyway, and we get a nice little happy ending afterward in that film.
2: But I feel like they need to think a little bit harder about their choice of destroying this ship. Yeah. I would feel like, let's just set it on a collision course with, with the, the sun. sun.
0: Yeah. Right. right, exactly. And
1: that's what I thought they were going to do <laughs>
0: yeah but that's not what they do but wrongy always wrong commander <laughs> elliot is offended on behalf of the already totaled space station because he used to be in charge of it
2: now you can evacuate this station that's all right but you're not going to destroy it it's our only way Vince. what do you mean
0: it's our only way exactly what i fucking said vince every time you contradict me you kill five more people <laughs> just shut the fuck up and be quietly wrong over there <laughs> Elliot tells Rankin he won't allow him to destroy the station, so Rankin has no choice but to order the man taken away to be evacuated and shipped back to Earth. In response to the reasoned and correct order, Elliot tries to punch Rankin in the face, but whiffs hard, so Rankin lays him out into the arms of the men in charge of escorting him away. When they start to open the escape hatch to launch evacuation shuttles, they notice there are aliens all along the outside of the ship, trying to get in through the same opening. Rankin orders a team of men to head up to destroy the aliens on the outside of the ship, and Elliot senses another chance to fuck everything up, so he sneaks onto the team. Discreetly. He's like, now I'm in charge of this team. Let's all go. Lisa finally realizes that perhaps Commander Vince Elliot is less than a genius, and suggests he not disobey more of Rankin's unanimously correct orders in response he accuses her of cheating on him which she has never hinted at doing for the entire film in fact she's done nothing but reject all of rankin's offers the entire time
1: she even helped you kill some guys
0: yeah (laughs) wasn't that nice of her (laughs) (laughs) it's our fifth anniversary so we're gonna kill five people together (laughs) elliot and the team head outside to take on the army of aliens dotting the outside of the ship (laughs) it's like usually you give paper <laughs> I don't know what that five years is, is. <laughs> is paper. Here's a piece of paper that says we just killed five people. Rankin activates some solar panels to lure the aliens all into one place. Elliot and friends are able to distract the aliens long enough for one ship to evacuate. Elliot's laser gun jams, so he throws it directly into the eye of one of the aliens. This is
2: not the only time <laughs> right. in the film we do this. <laughs> it's so good.
0: Do you guys recall the last time we saw someone with the brain of a child throw a gun (laughs) at a slimy space monster that wouldn't shoot anymore?
2: Was it the blob?
0: It was the blob. (laughs) Elliot jetpacks away with another unconscious man from the team. Rankin finds more aliens in a small corridor and buries them with explosive barrels. Unfortunately, the space station's remote controls from Earth are not working, and Gamma 3 will need to be piloted from the station's command module, which is currently stuffed with aliens. Rankin volunteers to go back alone while everyone else gets into the last escape shuttle.
2: And they're all like, that's smart. We'll only send one dude to do the thing that's absolutely critical to be done. Yeah. That's unlikely to succeed.
0: Right, exactly. Lisa begs him not to go, but he does it anyway. Naturally, when word gets to Commander Elliot that Rankin is making the sacrifice play, he decides to blunder into the situation and make things worse again. Amusingly, even though Lisa assumes Rankin has everything covered, she doesn't try to talk Vince out of it because she's a little tired of his contrarian streak at this point. She's like, you know what? Yeah, go ahead. Do that thing that they suggested you not do. Rankin's laser gun runs out, and again, we see someone hurl a gun like a javelin into an alien's face. Vince Elliott shows up and lays down some cover fire while Rankin pilots the space station on a trajectory into Earth? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. What are you
0: doing? Pointed at the sun. But they're they're crashing it into Earth's atmosphere with all these slime creatures all mm. over it.
2: Like, okay, here here's the question. So you had an option of do nothing with this, and it'll probably either land in Earth's orbit or atmosphere anyways and crash down and do what happens. Or it just stays up in space where it's not hurting anybody and you can yeah. destroy it later.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nuke it from wherever. But and maybe it's... nuking it is worse.
2: <laughs> but instead, you're running it towards the Earth intentionally in order to disperse and rain this goo down upon yeah. everyone in well, multiple locations
0: just realizing how the sun could backfire though too if they're able to convert the energy from the sun like the uh, ship hits the sun and then like two months later they're like oh that's interesting there's like this sunspot growing on the surface of the sun
1: it's mildly green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's it's unclear like if fire or because it just seems to absorb any kind of energy and yeah. so to me burning up in the atmosphere would just be more and more energy yeah um, also, there's no way that this entire space station would burn up in the
0: atmosphere. Yeah. Right, like, yeah. Huge yeah, portions so of it would yeah. make it
1: through.
2: Yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: And if one drop of alien slime hits Earth, then we're dead. If I were ranking right here, as soon as I saw Elliot show up, I'd be like, I order you not to shoot yourself in the face right now. Please don't do that right <laughs> now. Or now. That yeah, was worth a shot. On their way out of the station, Elliot is finally killed. Rankin leaps out of the station carrying the wounded Elliot or so it seems but when they both reach the escape shuttle it turns out he's dead after all Like, I just wanted to make sure we didn't leave his body behind I guess the rest of the green slime creatures are seen burning up in the wreckage of Gamma 3 on re-entry We hard cut from the space station exploding to Rankin recommending a posthumous honor for Commander Elliot, and then he gives the crew another awkward thumbs up.
1: Well, yeah, it's like Lisa says something to him, and then I thought for sure that thumbs up was, shove it up your ass. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Because it's like all of a sudden she's like super proud of him. It's like, no, 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 no. Sorry,
0: too late. The credits roll in slime green over a shot of Earth from space. The Japanese cut of the film is 13 minutes shorter and removes all aspects of the love triangle from the subplot. And apparently also all the scenes of Rankin and Elliot arguing. I don't know what's left. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's the green slime, everybody. Lots of fun. A very fun film. And uh, the sets are great. Mm. Uh, it's all this like really great 50s retro future stuff. Um, and it's got just great colors and costume design. And and all the technology looks awesome, except like you said the, the phone does stand out. Yeah. Um, but like the little ships that they have that they drive around on the asteroid to drill mm-hmm. the holes are great. Um, um
1: when the when the rocket was pulling into the space station and it fires like its reverse engines. Yeah. And and they're just the same engine but just they has it has engines on both sides. It's yeah. like, oh I think I've built this in Kruppel space program.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love the design of those little escape pods because they look like a child's drawing over a rocket ship and right it just has yes. like a window with the cross uh beams in it Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> this is just delightful
0: <laughs> yeah it, if you told jack to draw a spaceship that's what it would look like it would have a little like attic window
2: yeah <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i know we, we ragged we made a lot of fun of this movie but i mean i was genuinely angry like at Vince Elliott, Elliot. Like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was like into this movie to the point where I, I was just so mad at Elliot the See, whole time. See, I've
0: read I read so many reviews in the last week that go the other way that are mad at Rankin. What? That, oh, that why? They think he's too full of himself and it's like, but he's always right. <laughs> <laughs> he should be full of himself. He's amazing. And he's got that wire brush hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like It looks like it's made out of like, it's just copper. It's just a curve of copper on mm-hmm. his
1: head. Like the frigging uh, demon seed baby.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's so fun. Uh, and it keeps moving the whole time. Like we don't waste any time. Like, Oh, we're on the surface of the the asteroid already. And it's, and it's playing in real time practically too. It's like, it's been 20 minutes and we're already on the asteroid.
2: There's even a comment at the beginning when, um, you know, they got on the spaceship, they go up to, to Gamma 3, right? And, and they're like, why haven't they left yet? Yeah. They've only been there for five minutes, and they're walking out and getting on the spaceship already. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, why are they taking so long? It's like, are they? <laughs> he just left here a second ago. I can still smell him. <laughs> a lot of cologne. Rankin wears a lot of cologne. <laughs> Rankin. Frank. <Yeah.
1: laughs>
2: stuff thumbs up
0: big thumbs up oh yeah for sure and i would honestly say um of the other set of the Margariti quadrology that the first two are probably worth checking out um they they changed the lead actor after the first two and the the new guy's not as interesting and then the fourth one felt like a complete waste of time but the the first two are actually pretty fun and have decent production value for something that came together in three months which is insane that you would make four movies in three months Our director here was Kinji Fukasaku. Fukasaku has a really eclectic filmography, usually high-concept stuff with brilliant visuals. After this, he directs Star Wars Homage Message from Space, post-apocalyptic Virus Day of Resurrection, which we covered with a minisode, and much later, Battle Royales 1 and 2, though he didn't do that much of 2 because his son took over after he passed away.
1: Very totally different films. Yes, absolutely. uh, Green Slime and Battle Royale. Yeah.
0: And when I saw Kill Bill, the whole bloody affair, which combines the two halves into one film, it starts with a title card dedicating the film to Kinji Fukasaku. So it's definitely a favorite of Quentin Tarantino's, and I think Tarantino even produced the first DVD of Battle Royale that came to the U.S. Because mm. I think that the DVD that I bought has interviews with him okay. in the special features.
1: Yeah, that, that was like a like a like a eight year period. I feel like like where famous directors were just promoting films to get released in the U.S. that wouldn't have been released otherwise. Yeah, that
0: was great. Uh, The story here came from Ivan Rayner who has story and screenplay credits on many space age titles earlier in this series like The Wild Wild Planet, The War of the Planets, War Between the Planets. And like I said, those three were all in 1966. The other writer was Charles Sinclair. He doesn't have that many credits, but he previously wrote a couple seasons of the 60s Batman. Speaking of Batman, Bill Finger... There's another credited writer here. He is the original co-creator with Bob Kane of DC's Batman character. Oh. He, he created Batman. And he had a much bigger hand in it than Bob Kane did by all accounts. That he basically is like the Wozniak or mm. the, the Tesla of that whole situation. That he didn't get credit for a really long time. And it took until I guess his granddaughter stepped forward and brought forth all this proof in the form of interviews that bob kane had done admitting that yeah he came up with this and that and this and that mm. and this and it's like oh yeah he developed the joker and he developed the robin and he developed the cape and the cowl and it's like but i thought of a mask like the zoro mask and it's like he's, he's like zoro
1: the the chester a lamp of and scratchy yeah
0: exactly all i got is my rock car my <laughs> gold house <laughs> those blintzes were terrible oh <laughs> <laughs> uh. But uh, Bill Finger's reputation was restored thanks to his granddaughter's efforts, and he consequently has Batman creator credits on almost every Batman product in recent years. Another writer credit for Tom Rowe, who also wrote the story adapted into The Aristocats, and later he wrote Tarzan the Ape Man for the Derricks. The music here came from Charles Fox. It says credit only which is weird like he asked not to be credited and then they credited him so on imdb it says that he gave, he got a credit but he didn't write the music but he definitely did write the music <laughs> so that's weird uh but for some reason the score was repurposed into a commercial for men's cologne jade east that i feel like commander rankin was definitely wearing <laughs> he also scored wait, wait, last
2: wait, wait, wait the green sl- not the green slime song
0: the green slime Score, not the theme song, but the regular score to the rest of the film. The okay, Space that makes Age more sense. musical, yeah.
2: Because the Green Slime song just doesn't really work for cologne. Right. But if it was, <laughs> Jade East
0: is the right one.
1: From out of the future comes something new for him Jade East all purpose lotion in the new Polaris gift package. A clear, soothing lotion that tones and conditions the skin on his face and body.
0: Uh, he also scored last married couple in america little darlings oh god book two and nine to five for us last season apparently he was very embarrassed by his work on this film and asked not to be credited but he definitely was credited (laughs) it says composer right there up front the other uh the composer for the japanese version which doesn't include the theme song was toshiaki tsushima who also scored the street fighter and the return of the street fighter the cinematographer here was yoshikazu yamazawa who also lit bullet train The editor was Osamu Tanaka, who previously cut A Haunted Turkish Bathhouse, which I've only seen screenshots from, but looks amazing. Uh, He also edited Bullet Train and Tokyo Deep Throat. Hmm. (laughs) I don't know what that one is. Um, It's either All the President's Men or Porn. All the Emperor's Men. Can it not be both? (laughs) 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 That'd be good. Follow the money (laughs) into my (laughs) G-string. Robert Horton played Commander Jack Rankin. He has lots of credits, but not much I'd seen before this, other than a handful of episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Luciana Paluzzi played Dr. Lisa Benson. She's Fiona in Thunderball. I think that's like a Spectre agent. I don't think that's a Bond girl. I mean, I guess they're all Bond girls yeah, in I... Bond movies. Uh, Richard Jekyll played commander vince elliott we saw him last as pfc frank flynn in Sanza of iwo Jima. he also plays Sonny stein and arthur scott in jaws ripoffs mako the jaws of death and grizzly he's chuck in mr no legs from the people who brought you flipper the the <laughs> magic dolphin i guess it's not magic he also <laughs> he also played detective dave mooney in bud cardos and toby hooper co-directed the dark did you know Toby Hooper co-directed a movie with Bud Carter? I did
2: not. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't know
0: that either. We've also seen him last season as Shepard in Herbie Goes Bananas, and he's back later this season as Bill Dudley in All the Marbles, which I think is actually the next one we're set to record. Later, he's George Fox in Starman, and finally Ben Edwards in 28 episodes of Baywatch. David Yorston played Lieutenant Curtis. He was petty officer in Superman. Robert Dunham played Captain Martin. He was a police chief in New Kirk City in Mothra. Jack Morris played Lieutenant Morris, rocket pilot. He doesn't have many acting credits I recognize, but he also wrote the sequel to Zapped in 1990. He wrote the sequel to Zapped, and he's in the green slime. Good for you, Jack Morris. Patricia Elliott played a nurse. She's Renee Buchanan in 84 episodes of One Life to Live. Cliff Harrington played a space station crew member, uncredited. He's a Relisican citizen in Mothra and a helicopter pilot in King Kong versus Godzilla. Sable Jamil played medical office staff member. Before this, he showed up as a New Kirk city citizen in Mothra. Burr Middleton was the voice of Billy Batson slash Shazam in the early 80s animated series. Robert Morris played a soldier. Not Zach Morris, Robert Morris.
2: <laughs> not, not Jack Morris Not either, Jack apparently. Morris or <laughs> Zach
0: Morris. Um maybe a brother though uh, he played watson in Quatermass mass in the pit and william ross played ferguson uncredited he's a dialogue editor on a lot of popular animated series like mask dennis the menace heathcliff and the real ghostbusters i think that's everything for the green slime thanks again to carlos moto for their generous contribution to the show if there's any title you'd like us to review our top patreon tier includes a custom review of any pre-1980s title if you have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing whatever you choose. We leave you now with a trailer for The Green Slime. The lonely, helpless Earth. The 21st century.
2: The world of the future and lurking beyond the cold, strange immensity of conquered space, growing and spreading beyond the warped imagination of the greatest human intellect, exploding in unspeakable horror, The civilized world at war with alien form, whose slimy touch means instant, horrible death. Invaders from beyond the stars, What green slime. Robert Horton. Luciana Paluzzi. Richard Jacobs. You make too many mistakes. You're not right for command. This is my command and I'll manage it. Two men struggle for survival in the infected remains of a diseased universe. Don't
1: ask any questions.
2: One woman searches for a last chance to save the human race from the desperate hunger of the green slime. in space against faceless beings, a cosmic nightmare that sends you into the incredible a short world of Dream Slam,